This morning's scripture reading is from Revelation 8, 6 through 9, 21. Revelation chapter 8, verse 6 through chapter 9, verse 21. As I read, please follow along in your Bible or on the screens. Hear from God's word. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven, or fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power, like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth, and their breastplates like breastplates of iron, and their noise and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. The name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the fourth angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. 
But these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails, and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues, did not who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is God's word. At this time, children ages three through kindergarten are dismissed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. Wow, what a passage. I'm going to ask God's help for grace to unfold it for us. You will tell us, Lord, in Revelation 19.10, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I pray to the end that you might help me with the spirit of prophecy to bear witness to the testimony of Jesus to all those in the hearing of my voice, those by live stream, by recording, and those in this room. We need to hear from you, Lord Jesus, way more than we need to hear from any human being, including myself. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart now and ours together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The reason why I have chosen to have all of the chapter of 8 and all of chapter 9 read is because chapter 8 and chapter 9 all have the same general message together. It's all this declaration of seven trumpets. Actually, the seventh trumpet is coming later. There are six trumpets here, and each trumpet has its own message, but really they combine together to say the same great message, and that is God is sending wrath on the earth all the time, from the time of Christ's death and resurrection till the time of Christ's second coming, wrath on the earth mingled with mercy. The point of these many verses that Pastor Andrew just read is that God is always pouring out wrath on the earth, but he's always mingling with his wrath Mercy. There is no wrath for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. There is no wrath from God for you. All the wrath that God may and did have against you for the sins you've committed and the good things you didn't commit, he poured out not on you but on his son, Jesus Christ. He absorbed all of God's wrath against you so that there's no wrath left, not a drop for you or for me if you're in Christ. We'll see that here in this passage as well. But also, God is pouring out all his wrath on the earth, and then he limits it. Did you notice? In fact, I want you to see in seven different ways how God puts mercy right into the middle of the wrath that he pours out on the earth. The way to read this passage is to remember that John is writing to a beleaguered, besieged, persecuted group of churches 
listed out in chapters 2, 1, 2, and 3, but they represent all the churches in the earth that are under persecution. It won't be long before we'll be under persecution. There's even some subtle ways that we're being marginalized in the United States right now. It's not surprising, nor should it surprise us, if there's opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ in your life or in our lives right now. That's what the early church was experiencing in John's day. And he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to help them realize that there is a justice to come. Those persecutors and false speakers and haters of God will one day meet their maker in justice. That's part of what's going on in chapters 8 and 9. It's part of what's happening in these unfolding of three sevens. Do you know that the center part of Revelation has three, seal, three sets? One, a set of seven seals. The second set, a seven of seven trumpets. And the third set, a set of seven bowls. They're all describing the history since the time of Christ and his return. But they give added, almost layered insight into exactly what life is like on the earth now until Christ returns. We already looked at the seven seals. Now, all in one Sunday almost, we're looking at six of the seven trumpets. I want you to see as we look at these two chapters, we'll walk through them rather quickly, but we'll pause and see glorious things that are, God means to encourage us by in, in these precious verses. But before we do, let me point out for you seven examples of mercy right in the midst of God's wrath. First, these trumpets are fulfilling almost perfectly the plagues that God gave against Egypt thousands of years before. If you pause and try to draw connecting lines, you can see that there's so very much that happens in these trumpets that actually is the same as, corresponds to, and fulfills the plagues that God sent through Moses to free and rescue the people from Egypt and captivity there, ultimately to destroy Pharaoh and his army. God's wrath was leveled down upon Egypt for their captivity of his chosen and beloved and covenant people. And in the middle of his wrath, he preserved his mercy. These trumpet calls in chapters 8 and 9 are also God blasting a trumpet to say, I'm the king, I'm the conqueror, this trumpet means I rule and reign, and it means I'm coming, ready for attack, either fight me and lose or repent. So the first thing to see is that these seven trumpets and the six we'll look at today are corresponding to and have similar meaning to the very plagues that they're an echo of back in Exodus, the first ten chapters. The second mercy to see is that God's wrath is always limited. It's always withheld. It's always fractional. It's only a third of the earth or a third of the sea or a third of the moon or a third of the light. It's always limited. It shows us that this isn't the final judgment to come when the earth will be dissolved like snow that we just sang about. This is preparatory. This is merciful. This is God withholding. This is God putting a limit, a merciful limit on his wrath, not destroying everything. It's what he's doing on the earth right now. God's wrath is moving through the earth right now, and yet it's limited. He's holding it back because of his great mercy. 
Third, did you notice that there was an eagle that announces woe, 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 three times? That's an announcement of warning. God is giving a warning in this passage, and he's giving a warning by a bird of prey, an eagle, who says, woe, woe, woe. The idea is, stop. It's what you say to a horse when they're going too fast and they shouldn't go anymore. Whoa. God says to the world, stop. Stop your pursuit of sin. Stop your galloping toward destruction. Stop your planning and scheming of wickedness against me. Stop your idolatries. Stop your sorceries. Stop your sexual sin. Stop your murders. Stop. Woe. Be warned. You have an opportunity as I declare stop to you to to repent and return to me. The eagle and the declaration of woe is such a mighty extension of God's mercy during a time throughout the history of the church when stopping sin is what's needed most. Fourth, the worst of these demonic judgments, the fifth and sixth trumpets, are full expressions of demonic power. We're going to see that in just a minute. It's the opening of the abyss and demons coming out, 200 million of them. But those demonic judgments are only directed at haters of God, they never touch those who are lovers of God, sealed and protected. Verse 4 of chapter 9, They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. What's the seal of God? It's the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and the trusting of God by faith. The seal of God is the preservation and the salvation that God has worked in us that he will cause to be true to the very end. No one can snatch us out of his hand. The seal of God is his declaration that you are mine. I've sealed you. I possess and own you. I protect you and I will preserve you. Those with that seal will not be touched by the demonic. Breathtaking promise. Sixth, all the judgments, rather fifth, all the judgments call for repentance. Did you notice that at the very end of chapter 9, verses 20 and 21? The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, of their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. All of this wrath mingled with mercy is for repentance. What a great kindness of God. I'm going to come to them in eye-opening wrath, and I'm going to lace that wrath with mercy so that they will repent. They hate me. They love demons. And they love the works of demons. They do them with all their might. They protect them with all their heart. They set up laws to allow them to continue. They spend money 
and create money in order to fund their loving of demons and the work of demons. Yet I will call them to do the very thing that their heart does not seem to want to do, to repent. Don't stumble for a moment over the fact that God deserves all sinners to repent and return to Him and find mercy. When they do, they will find mercy. If you're a believer, that's what you've done. You and I have come to the Lord, and all we deserve from Him is wrath. But through Christ, all we get from Him is mercy. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't have to be just true for you. It can be true for the worst sinner you can imagine. Don't grow despairing or discouraged that it seems impossible for them to repent. It is. On their own and by their own efforts, it's impossible for them to repent. How do we know that? Repentance is a gift. 1 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says, God may grant them to repent. It's a gift. He doesn't just give them an invitation. That isn't the object of the verb to give. Repentance is the object of the verb, to give them repentance. God calls the human condition in sin to do the impossible, turn from their sin, and repent, return to Him. But they can't do it unless He empowers them with His new life. He calls them to the impossible, and then He supplies what they need to achieve it. God promises throughout this entire firestorm of wrath to protect his people. We have his protection all the way through. That's a sixth mercy. And a seventh mercy is we have just sat under the reading of the word of God and we have heard the powerful living word of God empowered by his Holy Spirit read to us and now it is in our hearing and in our hearts and this very scripture is an invitation to every one of us in this room and everyone who's listening to repent of sin and settle with the Lord and say, Lord, I am ready. I am ready to meet you. I'm ready to die and meet you. I'm ready for you to come back. I'm eagerly pursuing unbelievers, that they too might join me. I'm eagerly praying for my family members, my friends, my co-workers, my online interactors, even for my enemies. I'm praying that they too would repent and find the mercy that's, that comes through your son, Jesus Christ, in him alone. The scriptures stand as our gracious, merciful warning of wrath to come. I want to walk through the first four trumpets and take them as a unit because they all have to do with nature. Do you remember what we saw at the beginning of chapter 8? We saw an altar with the prayers of the saints, as it were, arising as incense before the Lord. And out of that heated, fiery altar in heaven, one of the angels cast fire down onto the earth. So you can see now, almost as if it triggers in, in uh, John's visionary trek through this apocalyptic, the creating of an entire fiery sacrifice out of the earth. So fire defines every one of these four trumpets. Let's read them and comment on them briefly. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire and mixed with blood. These were thrown down upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. 
So this is God saying, I am going to bring my wrath, and it's going to affect the ground. It's going to affect nature, grass, and the earth, and trees. It'll be burned up, and oh, it harms people tremendously. Of course it does. We believers aren't exempt from the natural disasters that happen on the earth. We're not exempt from sickness or pandemics or floods or famines or fire or storms. This isn't a weather forecast, Revelation 8, verse 7. This is God saying, I'm furiously angry with unbelief and sin on the earth. Repent as you see natural disasters. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul would say much later in Romans chapter 8. He would say, natural disasters are the earth groaning and yearning for the revealing of the sons of God. So take notice when you see natural disaster and say, Lord, this is from you. How might we repent? In Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, the second trumpet blows. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. You can just imagine. And a third of the ships were destroyed. It isn't just about a third. That's the limitation, the mercy. But it's about God creating the world to be now toxic and unsuitable for sea creatures to live. Unsuitable for ships to sail. And surely Christians are dying along with unbelievers in these natural disasters. Many commentators think that John had in mind what happened just 20 years before he was writing this letter, the, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii in 79 AD. But the meaning is deeper. It's not just about natural disasters. The meaning is this mountain that's being thrown down represents a, a massive group of of cities and, and structures that stand against God. It, it's like the way Babylon will be used later in Revelation chapter 18. It too is thrown down in violence because God is furious with the way the world is functioning. Don't think for a moment that because God is patient and merciful and kind that he is okay with our sin, yours or mine, or that he's okay with the sins of the world as the sins of the world continue to rumble on hour by hour. God is storing up wrath for them if they will not repent. The third trumpet, verse 10 out of chapter 8. Third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. This is a reference to the fact that there's suffering in the world. Wormwood is always a meaning, a word meaning suffering throughout the Old Testament and elsewhere in Jewish literature. It's the opposite that happens to the water where it becomes now bitter. It's just the opposite of what God did through Moses where he took bitter water and made it sweet at Mirabah. Now God is saying, because you have rejected me, the living waters, I will make all water bitter and you'll even die as you drink it. This is God's wrath, and he says it in advance, and he says it's only limited a third of the rivers because God is merciful in his wrath. The fourth trumpet, verse 12, blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, the third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that the third of their light might be darkened. A third of the day might be kept from shining, likewise a third of the night. This is just like the ninth plague back in Egypt. Darkness means not just you can't see, it means spiritual darkness, doesn't it? Spiritual heaviness on the earth. Spiritual darkness took over the people as they were shrouded in their homes. 
And the doorposts in, during the night of Passover were covered with the blood of the lamb. And the darkness was heavy on Egypt, on the ghetto of Goshen, and on the Egyptian people. But not one Israelite died, only the firstborn among the unbelievers of Egypt. Darkness will cover the earth, spiritual death and darkness. People will be blind, not just because they can't see in front of them, but because they willfully say, I don't want to see. I would rather have the hood of darkness over me. I don't want to see God. I don't want to see the face of Christ. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to look into anyone's face who's going to hold me to account to love him and honor him and honor myself. I don't want that. So lots and lots of ways there are darkness in our culture, this very spiritual darkness. There's, there's lots of buildings of ill repute where there's no windows on those buildings. Get windows in your church because there's no windows on buildings where sin happens. But the whole internet, by its very invention, allows for secrecy and darkness and blindness in what you or I might be tempted to do online and what unbelievers are trying to make an entire living and money doing online. God says, I give this trumpet as a warning that I see everything And there is justice to come. Your sins will either be paid for by my son on the cross, if you repent, or by you and your suffering for eternity. Here in these first four trumpets, God is uncreating the world. He's uncreating the earth and uncreating the sea and the rivers and the sun. He's reversing creation. All things that God created in Genesis and called good, he's dismantling here by a third to prepare this world for its full and final recreation in the new heavens and the new earth. These trumpets are a chosen sound of God's victory and reign over sin. Don't think for a moment that sin will continue on the earth indefinitely. Don't think for a moment that God is asleep or does not count sin important or that he's indifferent to his own glory. He's not indifferent to his own glory. He will, in fact, bring about a just retribution for sin. I alluded to this earlier from Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. How is it set free from its bondage to corruption? By the repentance that's found in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you might experience physical sickness. But it's not because God's angry with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you might experience financial trouble, but it's not because God's angry with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you might experience challenges in relationships. You might experience job loss or job difficulty. You might experience disappointments in the political sphere or in the cultural sphere, but it's not because God is angry with you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But know this, while he protects and holds you in the palm of his hand, he is permitting and ordaining that wrath settle on the world, on the earth, in all four of these natural ways, in order that people might wake up one morning and say, I have lived in direct rebellion and running the opposite direction from the God who made me and all that surrounds me, and I repent. The fifth and sixth trumpets will end with verses 
13 toward the end of chapter 8 and all the way through chapter 9, verse 19. A bird of prey in verse 13 cries out, woe, 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 because it's like demonic birds are about to take over the earth. This is what's inflicted upon unbelievers, and not one believer is touched by this. We know that because the eagle speaks directly against those called the inhabitants of the earth. The inhabitants of the earth. When you see that phrase in Revelation, you should know that the inhabitants of the earth is a reference to the unbelievers who are in rebellion against God. It's never a phrase used universally for all humankind. It's always used by John with specific reference to those who have rejected Christ. So upon the inhabitants of the earth, those who've made friends with the demonic, the Lord in his wisdom and with his angels doing his bidding releases 200 million demons to give them to the people who love them. And they will just about hate what they love. They'll want to die, yet they still won't repent. This is in answer to the prayer back in chapter 6 where the martyrs said, How long, O Lord, will you avenge our blood? Even believers endure death. And the martyrs did. Suffering hits everyone. But suffering for believers is not wrath, but only mercy. Look with me to chapter 9 as I read verses 1 through 6. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. It's probably an angel. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. That means he got the key from Christ. We know from Revelation 1, Christ alone has the keys to Hades and to uh, heaven. He alone has the key. He permits and gives the key or authority to this angel who opens the bottomless pit. From the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, says verse 2. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, And that reminds us again of the plagues in Egypt. Locusts on the earth, and they were given power from God. They have borrowed power, not their own. Like the power of scorpions of the earth, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. If you stand with the seal of God, if you're believing in Jesus Christ, you stand firm and submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you, including all his demons, all 200 million of them. They can't touch you. One of the great joys of your living in Jesus Christ right now is the demonic is real, but if you stand firm, you can, with one little word, fell him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Saddest thing in the world is for a Christian to have that great power in standing before God and basically let the devil lie to them and beat them up their whole lives. Mighty warriors for Christ who submit to God and resist the devil that he flees from them would be a great joy to see built up and strengthened among you and me. Verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green tree or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Then it says they were allowed by God He's doing the allowing to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. Again, it's limited. 
and not unto death. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. Gets their attention. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. God even tells death what to do. Death doesn't come unless God permits it. Some God-appointed angel with the key to the abyss that only Christ holds opens the bottomless pit like a great furnace and it belches sun-blackening smoke, releasing demons like locusts with the power of scorpions. They can harm no believer, no one with the seal of God on their foreheads, only the unbeliever, and that for a limited time. That's for the purpose of their repentance. How many times do you hear about some new painful disease that's identified in the news and applies it seemingly clearly to those who pursue a path and lifestyle of sin. And you say, yes, we all get sick, but don't you hear the voice of God talking to you through those symptoms? Asking you, pleading with you, inviting you, calling you to repent. The demons... Here are only destroying those that they already have. The devil and his demons are cruel masters. If you're tempted to do anything that the devil tempts you to do, resist him. Turn from it. He wants to, kind, to, to fog your mind. He wants to draw you into paths of wickedness and darkness. Any idolatry that you love more than you love Christ, repent of it and put it away. The devil's at work in it, and he's using it to harm you. And he wants to destroy you by it. He will make promises to you, but he's a liar. Any designs of murder in your life or in our culture where you're voting for murder or you're supporting candidates of murder or you're thinking about murder or you see the usefulness of murder, repent of it. That's the work of the devil. He only wants to destroy the ones who get murdered and you. If they'll murder them, they'll murder you. Thievery, stealing of any sort, dishonesty of any kind. Sexual impurity of any sort or kind. Anything, anything that is outside of God's good design for a married couple to enjoy the beautiful intimacy of sexual union in marriage. Anything outside of that is demonic territory, flee from it. Don't go near it. Run away from it. It's the work of the enemy to try to destroy you and those around you. Look at verses 7 through 12. This is what God is releasing and unleashing upon unbelievers in order that they might repent. This is not for you and me if we're in Christ. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. There's a freakishness to this paragraph, isn't there? On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Look at the power we've got. Look at our crown of gold on our heads. Counterfeit royalty. Their faces were like human faces. Weird, 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 weird. Their hair like a woman's hair, even more weird. But their teeth like lion's teeth. Yikes. Freakish, cruel. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and I wrote in my notes, but why? Like they don't have hearts, and it doesn't matter. They're already dead. What's the breastplate for? Noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots. 
With horses rushing into battle, they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is, in Hebrew, is Abaddon, and Greek is like a Paul Young. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Satan is the leader, ruler, king over the demons. And he is loosed to torment with this ugly, freakish, false army. It's a terrifying image of cruelty and evil. And it's exactly how John, in this apocalyptic vision, is helping the early church go, Oh, so I might be duped into thinking that those crown-wearing, wealthy, so-called beautiful people really have their act together, but really, they're just duped by these locust, demon, horse-riding, women's hair-wearing, lion-teeth freaks. They torment unbelievers with constant accusation. Pain in their souls, filled with doubt, hopelessness, hopelessness, despair, and fear. One person asked as they were studying this and, and writing through this passage, what is it that these demons are allowed to do to unbelievers that just doesn't happen to believers? If believers can get sick and they experience the natural disasters and they experience difficulty in the world, and we all do, all believers do, what is it that the demons uniquely have to torment unbelievers? And the answer is guilt. Ours is wiped away, praise the Lord. They're walking around with their guilt all the time. If you meet an unbeliever, just be sure that almost everything in their life is strategized to remove their feeling of guilt. We're the only ones who have the news on the earth to say your sins may be washed away by coming to Jesus Christ. Come believe in him and find your heart cleansed and forgiven. You'll be washed and waiting for his return. John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. I, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The devil is defeated and he is destroyed. He is cast down. His power is only permitted by God to bring about repentance. The very thing the devil doesn't want to do. The devil committed suicide by ordering Jesus to go to the cross. His destruction is sure, and now he and his 200 million demons are trying to cause torment in the lives of unbelievers, yet they are not permitted to do it beyond five months, a limited time. And yet what the devil intends for evil, God is at that moment intending that very same torment for good. For many will finally say, you're a wicked and evil and lying master, devil. I turn from you and trust in Christ. The sixth trumpet is in verse 13 of chapter 9. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. That voice is the voice of Christ, the Lamb, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for that hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. But the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. By means of them they wound. Christ speaks from the four horns of the altar where he's seated. 
the place where the prayers of the saints are gathered. So don't forget that the prayers of the saints are in, in, in fuel and in heat and in increase of this wrath that's coming on the earth. You you just have to pause and say there there maybe are things a wise and sovereign God does that I would not have asked him to do that are painful and difficult that he's doing in answer to my prayer that he save an unbeliever. Angels are appointed to rise, according to verse 14, out of the great river, they're unbound from the great river. I take it to be that the, uh, these are demons. Demons are the only ones bound in Revelation and the whole Bible. From the very river from which Eden, the very place of creation, began. That's where God had placed Eden. And yet, over the time of history of sin, Euphrates, the river near Eden, this beautiful, life-giving river, was taken over by Babylon, by the city of darkness, and used for sin, and yet it's right then out of this river Euphrates that these four angels come, and they release these demons in innumerable measure, and God allows these mighty troops of darkness to go working through the world to bring about repentance and a shocking awakening among unbelievers. We believers stand back and say, with one little word, we may fell him. Jesus said, be gone to the devil. We can say, be gone. If you ever struggle with grief or guilt, if you ever struggle with shame over past sin, or you find yourself falling today or the next day or the next day, fly to Christ. Quickly go to him and recognize that the payment for your past, present, and future sin has been made by his death on the cross on your behalf. And go right to him quickly and say, Lord, restore and renew me. Let that be your daily experience with the Lord whenever sin is brought to your attention. Know that you can then turn and pray for unbelievers whose guilt is accumulating on them heavier and heavier day by day, never ever being lifted. We can tell this is the main point of all six of these trumpets because of verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, do you see how they're termed plagues now, not trumpets? Because it's a reference back to the plagues over Egypt. Did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, and bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. The aim of all of these trumpets is the same aim as the ten plagues in Exodus. That was to destroy those who stiff-necked and reject, rebel against God, though they have been offered mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Even in the midst of their destruction, they are being offered mercy. Imagine you're huddled with your family and trembling in your Goshen ghetto home. You still have on your tongue the taste of bitter herbs and flat bread in your mouth, and you can still smell the roasted lamb in the air. And all your belongings are either in your hand or on your back. The darkness inside your home and around your home is so heavy it seems to swallow the light, but you can see the little candle flickering, and it trembles like your hands tremble. You notice the wash basin 
which still has some red-tinged water in it where your father washed his hands after putting lamb's blood over the door frame on the outside. And then the shrieks come. Not near, but far across the valley where the Egyptians live. Mother after mother discovers her firstborn son or daughter, young or old, instantly dead. Husbands frantically looking for the cause are horrified to discover that their firstborn of their flocks are also mysteriously dead. Some of the parents fall, all who are firstborn. You grieve for the unspeakable loss, but at that same moment you also feel, surprisingly, the warmest peace imaginable, and it humbles you, yet it excites you, and it unites you to yourself. The end of the world will not be new for anyone who has read their Bible. For anyone who knows our God and loves our Savior, Jesus Christ, and is filled with our precious Holy Spirit, trusting in the shed blood of the Lamb, we know what the end of the world is like. Tell everyone that you know this God is good, but he's not tame, as C.S. Lewis says. He's perfectly safe, but safe for only those who come and find refuge in him. Settle it in your heart today. Exhort yourself and one another as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I am not going to go to sleep tonight. I'm not even going to put food to my mouth right now before I am settled with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. I am happy to say with many other believers the greatest thing in all the world is to be saved from this, a righteous wrath of a holy God. Tell the unbelievers you know, in every form and fashion that you can find, that God's wrath is present, but it's always laced with mercy. Revelation twenty two seventeen. the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And then be ready to pray with Revelation 22, three verses later, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, I thank you for this passage, its depth, its weight, I thank you for its power. I pray that if anyone in this room is desiring to make a fresh repentance of sin, that you would lean in and grant them the power to do it right now today. Pray that you'd help us to sing, Lord, in response to your power over the enemy, your, your wrath that's laced with mercy, and your great salvation that we stand in and now enjoy. Prepare us for these days, Lord. They're coming. We want to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond by singing.